Galaxy Digital is one of the most well-known brands in the market for digital currencies, led by its stalwart Mike Novogratz. The firm's origin story dates back to the Bitcoin boom of 2017. Originally, Galaxy was to be a $500 million hedge fund, which at the time reportedly lured the attention of family offices and other hedge fund managers. It also marked a striking comeback story for Novogratz, who left his previous employer, Fortress Investments, after his $2.3 billion macro fund was liquidated, resulting in his exile from the Wall Street world. Fast forward to 2019, and Galaxy Digital looks a lot different than it was described in initial reports. The nearly 80-person firm spans asset management, trading, and consulting, an operation some have likened to Wall Street's investment banks. In this episode of The Scoop, Novogratz talked about Galaxy's multifaceted role in the crypto market, why it is expanding into San Francisco, and the reason why the bear market might not necessarily be over. I hope you enjoy the episode. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code it's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. It's also a favorite of the block's analyst Steven Zhang. He saves money at Chipotle every time he gets a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time I'm actually hosting the podcast alone. Normally I have a co-host, so all right, uh, we'll see how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to what is a very special episode of the scoop, I'm joined by Galaxy Digital CEO Mike Novogratz. Mike might be the first guest to appear on the scoop who really needs no introduction, but I like to hear myself talk, so I'm going to do so anyway. <laughs> the hedge funder turned crypto advocate leads, as I said, Galaxy Digital, an investor and trading firm based here in New York. Prior to falling down the crypto rabbit hole, Mike spent time at Goldman Sachs and Fortress, and then again got gripped by the Bitcoin bug, he found it, and then decided to start a company. Originally a hedge fund, and then that sort of transformed, if you will, I guess, into what reports described as a merchant bank, akin to investment banks like Goldman Sachs. And recently you actually retweeted someone who said, uh, you know, uh, Galaxy is the Goldman of, of the crypto space, and you said, let's, let's change the subject. I assume you didn't like the comparison. You've also compared it to Drexel. Uh, but that raises an interesting question, which is my first question. What is Galaxy Digital Mike, and, and what's its role in the market? And walk us through how that's changed. And it's changed a bit since 2017. You know, the original thought when I, when I talked about Drexel was, like, Drexel helped credentialize the entire, you know, junk bond space or, you know, high-yield space. It didn't exist before then. And I thought... What's our role? It's to help credentialize this space. Um, and so that's, that's where the Drexel, of course, a bunch of my uh, IR people were like, you can't compare us to Drexel. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you, the fate for Galaxy. What's interesting is when you look at the talent that was at Drexel, I mean, it's shocking from a, you know, Leon Black and Apollo and, you know, the, the, the talent that left that place and went on to really help transform finance in Wall Street. Uh, and then Mike Milken had an amazing comeback himself uh, and is one of the, you know, the kind of leading conference guys in the world, leading philanthropists, leading thinkers, uh, and has an army of people that 
that he influences. And so, uh, you know, thank God for second chances. Um, so that was the idea with Galaxy. Let's be uh, a credentializer. Uh, and so Merchant Bank, why Merchant Bank? Because we invest a lot of our own capital uh, in projects, in infrastructure projects, in protocols, uh, in businesses. Um, and I thought early on in a nascent industry, it's hard for me to go raise capital for your project. And people say, well, dude, you put money in? Oh, no, no, I'm not putting money in, but you should. It just doesn't work in an early on industry. And so we have to you know, eat our own cooking in some ways. So I'm not going to ask you to invest in a project if I'm not investing in it myself mm -hmm. uh, or our company's not investing in it. And so that was the, hint, the, the idea of Merchant Bank. And so Galaxy now really is three or four businesses. We, we have a trading business, an OTC and an electronic trading business. So we want to be in the center of liquidity. Um, it was great to see a lot of the familiar faces that I've read about, Josh Lim, David yeah. Gross, Yoshi. Yeah, and so, listen, you know, back in 2017, I, I remember at one point, 16 or 17, I think I was Circle's biggest client. And I was like, wait a minute, why am I paying them for the bid-ass spread? Uh, but I was too lazy and... and uh, and then when we thought about this, we were like, okay, let's build a desk. Uh, the margins were much better in 2016, 2017. And, uh, you know, there's been so many people in and around Bitcoin liquidity. The Bitcoin margins have come way down. Um, we're taking a longer-term view of it. Uh, so we're building a desk to provide liquidity for people, for high net worth customers, for institutional customers, for, you know, for competitors, even, you know. Uh, and that's... That's the one. That's one business. That's one business. That's trading. Uh, we have a advisory business that really. It, that's it, the one that's kind of changed the most. Yes, because right? it started out as started out ICO at, advisory. Yes. Now we're looking at larger clients. I've done some of my own analysis. I think it's right, but I've been wrong on this podcast before. I think in 2018 you did one million just about in advisory fees. Um, what? If it's not ICOs, who are you advising and what are you advising? So about? there's a few different type businesses. Uh, we've looked at helping raise capital for a mining project or for, for uh, you know, startup, you know, new venture businesses. Um, so there could be a capital raising. There, there could be merger activity, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's, what will be the SCO business, right? The security coin offering business. We're working on a really large uh, real estate transaction that if it got done would be a big, big deal for the whole space. Now, you know, from, from here to there is always a long walk. Oh, yeah, uh, especially with STOs. I mean, we've but, seen a lot of these deals just fall apart even after being announced. But this, this you know, we'll see. I don't want to yeah. jinx myself. Knock on but wood. The, the interesting thing about an advisory business is it's, we have, I think, eight people in it. Uh, we brought in Ian Taylor from Goldman Sachs. He's a rock star. Uh, he's now, you know, 10 months into the game, has learned crypto. So first you've got to teach your guys in each vertical to be experts, right? Mm -hmm. I can't come in as your banker and not know more than you do. So you've got to develop a lot of domain expertise. Have one person who knows mining as well as anybody on the planet. And, and so in each space, you've got to develop domain expertise. Um, and then you also have to wait till the, the industry is ready to, to, to kind of the regulatory environment uh, to show up. And so it's not a wildly high cost business. Uh, it's just human capital. There's not a lot of tech behind it, right? As opposed to the trading business, which is a high cost business. Uh, and one or two transactions can pay for the, mm -hmm. and so it's, it, the, the, the revenue will be lumpy when it comes. Uh, but I'm looking at this as a three, three year project, not a three month project. Um, listen, if it doesn't come within three years, maybe I'll wave the white flag, you know. Uh, and then there's asset management. And there's asset management. And asset management has been frustrating for us in that, you know, we start off with one great piece of business, right? We managed $300 million for block one in a, in a uh, venture fund. Uh, that's a great fund. It's doing mostly esports and uh, digital gaming world. and Gaming and... Uh, I think that'll be a great fund. Uh, Sam Engelbart is running that fund for us. Um, and then we said, okay, let's, what's our next piece? Well, because we invest 
the proprietary trading in our, a lot of our venture off our balance sheet, uh, we said, okay, let's use asset management to do scalable things. And so we came up with this Bitcoin Bloomberg crypto index, which felt like a really good idea at the time. Uh, Bloomberg helping credentialize the space. It's really the, f the first institutional quality index where you had the right service providers. That, um, but it was a bear market and people didn't want to participate in an index. And what I didn't get then and I get now is it, this is a new product for institutions. And so by definition, they're nervous. And institutions don't like to be investors. They like to be allocators. And so it's easier for Harvard's endowment fund to allocate capital to Paradigm or Polychain or, uh, than to actually just go buy Bitcoin themselves. So in some weird way, they're paying one and a half and 20 or two and 20 for people to, to, to be long their beta because they say, you take care of the risk. Uh, it's a, you're, you're only investing because you think it's going up, mm -hmm. right? But because we're so early on, these guys want to have that arm's length. So there's a unique struggle to sort of find people who would be willing to allocate capital to some of the fund structures that you have, at well, least at this point. Well, because the, 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 the fund that would be easy to, to raise would be what we do on our balance sheet, which is, you know, we buy and sell coins, we get short, we get long, and we have a big venture portfolio. Uh, Paradigm, Polychain, Pantera, they all do that in a fund structure. And so we were looking at our asset management to do kind of much more scalable things. We thought the index would be a scalable product. It, is, it has been a difficult slog there because, A, it was constructed, uh, if you think about the... the there are, the there are a few... Other indexes yeah, but, out there. But if you think about the macro narrative in the last 14 months, it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin's outperformed the index by 150% mm -hmm. this year. Uh, and so it's a staggering macro trend. Um, the other piece was retail, right? You know, give Barry uh, Silbert tons of credit that he got, you know, this Bitcoin trust thing up and running before the regulators said no one else can do it. And so he has a kind of quasi-monopoly on this quasi-ETF. Mm -hmm. And he's done a great job. You know, that's a great product. It's a great asset management product. I'm, I'm envious. Uh, and so we're working at new ways uh, to, to tap into those channels. Um, but it hasn't, that's been a, f a frustrating business for us. Mm -hmm. There was talk of a debt fund that you guys were thinking of raising. You know, we, we went out, we, we, we do debt off our balance sheet, and we've been really successful at it. Um, we went out and tested the waters, and it, the market's just not ready yet. You know, and it, when I think back on it, we thought the thesis was, well, this is kind of a half step for institutional investors, right? It's dollar-based, and, and in a lot of ways, the thesis was pretty simple. We, we think we can get mid-teens re returns on the same type risk that you'd be getting 6 or 7% for if it didn't have crypto associated mm -hmm. with it. Um, that's why I thought it's a great business. I still think it's one. If you're, it's your first allocation to crypto, it's like, just put me in a fund that buys Bitcoin and, yeah. and a few venture things. And so I do think, you know, sometime in the, in the future, one, you know, a year, two years, there'll be, there'll be appetite for a, a crypto lending fund. It's interesting that you mentioned looking at Bitcoin in the macro environment. There's been lots of talk about whether or not in the face of a recession, if it's a safe haven asset, but if you look at the volatility against, you know, gold, which is traditionally thought of as being the safe haven asset, or even, you know, Japanese, Japanese uh, yen, which traditionally have been the safe haven assets, it's just way too volatile, volatile See, from my perspective. We are early. Like, this is a, uh, we're, in the, we're, we're still in elementary school as an industry. Uh, when you think about Bitcoin is 10 years old, Ethereum is, what, four years old. Um, and so gold's 3,000 years old. And while I fundamentally believe Bitcoin is going to supplement people's gold allocation, right? If you think of it, Bitcoin as digital gold, more and more people are buying into that. Sure. And like maybe over the next 10 years, that, that shift will happen. And I think it could accelerate even, you know, listen, one way to think about all of these coins was that until 
there's a huge underlying economy, which, which we don't have yet because the technology is still being built in almost everything other than Bitcoin. They're all speculative. And, and so just like gold is speculative. And so what, what, is, what I mean by speculative, you need more people to buy to get the price to go up. <laughs> you know? And we're not generating a, uh, an evil business. We're buying it to, to hold it because we think it's going to go up, right? In some ways, uh, it's like a viral marketing scheme. <laughs> uh, so what's promising about Bitcoin is you can draw a circle and say, okay, who are the cheerleaders? Sure. I can kind of off the top of my head name 15 billionaires that made their money something, not in Bitcoin, not in crypto, uh, that made their money in other you know, parts of the financial world, Mickey Melker or Wences Caceres or Pete Brigger or Abby Johnson or Bill Miller uh, that are big advocates of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're getting a bigger and bigger cheerleading team uh, that, has, that, that has influence. You're also creating more and more ways, easier ways for people to buy into Bitcoin. And so I think that train is working. And, you know, it's not going to go straight up. We went up from 3,000 to 14,000. Uh, I got criticized on Twitter for saying I should have sold more because I should have sold more. And then you know, I sold some that I bought some back. And uh, I, I think we're going to consolidate around here for a while. And the next leg is going to be a big leg higher. It's interesting because I feel like Galaxy, um, if you go back to 2017 and some of the things that you said or focused on back then, it seemed like the, the focus was centralized or, or was focused around gaming, you know, whether it was EOS or or token economics as opposed to Bitcoin being the kingpin and being I made, what's going to drive us forward. I, I, my, philanthropy is, my philanthropy is funded. Uh, my lifestyle is funded in lots of ways. All the fun extra stuff from the Ethereum trade. Right? I bought a lot of Ethereum when it was one and five and ten and I sold it from 350 to 1350, you know. And so, uh, yeah, we were Ethereum and EOS. I made lots of money on EOS. We, we, we managed money for them. Um, and so as a trader... It's not just you, right? I mean, the market overall yeah. is... It's as a trader and a speculator, you go where the energy is, right? Uh, your long-term venture portfolio goes where the long-term world is going to go, but your speculative portfolio and your trading portfolio and the energy of the month goes to where the energy is. And so the energy all shifted to Bitcoin. Partly, and you know, it's funny, there's been a group of people that helped shape this narrative. Uh, the narrative being, Bitcoin's kind of a finished product. It's hard to change. It's digital gold. Where we've got to get to Ethereum 2. We've got, I mean, we're, all, we're, we're three to five years away from these, these blockchains really being scalable and buildable in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an economy-changing way. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in a way that where you can convince investors, especially traditional investors, to allocate any sort of meaningful capital to it. Right. And so, in some ways, Bitcoin is ahead of the just ahead of the the, the adoption curve, and I think it'll remain that way for at least the next twelve months, uh, or if not longer. And so, what's frustrating about crypto to use, you know, try to explain it to my mother? It's not one story, right? It's it's, it's three or four stories. Bitcoin's got its own story, then Web 3.0, or you know, it's got a story, then the tokenization of everything has a story. And uh, I do think the focus on gaming uh, is a good one because that'll probably be the first area where you see adoption. And you're seeing it already. Uh, I have a terrible memory for the game we're invested in, but it's the number two to... Uh, use case on the Ethereum network right now, um, behind, only behind the, uh, uh, the DeFi stuff. The, and so I do think that business is, is going to be exciting, and that might be the first place we see you know, how a decentralized blockchain-based economy works. Is, is there a business you think that you have the biggest uh, interest in, in terms of you know, whether you're a, you know, I have to deal a lot with the micromanagement on the part of my... CEO, or do you think you're a micromanager sometimes? No, Is you there know, I, one particular business that you have your hands in. So I run the risk for the the trading risk, not the day to day trading risk, but the macro risk. So when I wanted a short XRP token against the Bitcoin portfolio, that's my, my no, I've got 
a bunch of smart guys I talk to for ideas and whatnot. Um, but I make those decisions. And so when to double up on Bitcoin, when to sell. Uh, I've done speculative trading for 25 odd years. And so I think that's one of my advantages or edges and one of our firm's edges is that I came from a macro uh, world and I was pretty good at it. And so this is just trading macro in lots of ways. Sure. In uh, a lot of ways you and, can plug and play those same skills in. Well, and what, what macro guys learn in some cold way is not to be too emotional. Uh, it's just another chart. And I just remember in 2016, I would, 17, I would tell, tell my guys to sell and they wouldn't even want to sell. No, this we can't sell. And I'm like, dude, it's my money, sell. <laughs> um, but so many of my friends, you know, in the, in the crypto space, they were just, it, it, this was a revolution to them. It was, it was a religion to them. So they just couldn't get themselves to sell. And if we've done anything well, it's not just buying, it's we, we've sold. I mean, even this year, well, you know, I had a, seed stake investment in uh, Cosmos. Great project, everyone's telling me, and they're raving about Cosmos. I just realized, hey, I bought it when Ethereum was, was 40 or something, and uh, when Cosmos came out, Ethereum was only trading at 120, so it had made 3x, and I had made like 50x on my Cosmos, and I was like, ah, let's just sell it all. And you know, we didn't pick the highs, but it's 50% of where we sold it now. And I was like, guys, these market caps on these new protocols that we come out with, which are so exciting, have a really hard time lasting because they don't have that same 20 cheerleaders that Bitcoin does. They've got one or two or three or four whose voices dwindle, and they have guys that all of a sudden on paper seem to be really, really rich, and they're like, I just need to sell my coins. And so I'm really skeptical. A lot of them are pretty strange. I'm really skeptical at a lot of these big new protocol launches because they don't have anybody in the box yet. You've got to get developers in the box. You've got to get custom. It, putting people in the box is hard. It's or why Mike Novogratz. How do you get Mike Novogratz in the box? Well, we get in early because we, we, you know, part of being a speculator is you're sensing, well, what, what's going to have some excitement for a while? But how do you get them to stay in the box is you've got to build a real business. I'm really fascinated to watch Telegram because Telegram's got 280 million customers. And so we'll see what they come out with and how quick, you know, you know, people adopt, you know, their, their, their ton token. But uh, I think trading is going to be interesting in it because, you know, most people that have been in crypto, if you think about when they made the Telegram investment, which would have been January of 17, everything is down somewhere between... Did you get in? 40... No, I didn't. You know, it's an interesting story. I tried to get in late. Uh, I was like, all my guys hated it. Uh, the white paper sucked. And, and I woke up one day and I was like, wait a minute, what am I talking about? They've got a world-class CEO. They got 225 million customers at that point. And who cares about the white paper? All this stuff's open source. You're just copy and paste someone else's white paper. And so I called Pav Durov, uh, and we did a long hour call. And I was like, dude, I know you've closed the first round. The first round was 37 cents. The second round was a buck and a quarter. That seemed bizarre. I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Your company is worth 4X a week later. I, uh, no, that just doesn't work. Well, there's different liquidity and I don't care. I'll, and I was going to write a giant check on behalf of myself and, and, a, and a big customer. It's really interesting because a lot of the even big ticket investors couldn't get, the ones that I talked to at least, couldn't get on the phone with these guys. It was very, you know, secretive around well and you know they had they had called 15 20 times to try to get me into this and i was like no no i guys hate it and then i changed my mind and i changed my mind about three weeks too late and he's like dude i can't help you and i was like it's funny it was the first time the crypto industry was was growing up a little bit because all the other deals you could always like get yourself in even when they were closed because you had a good name or they wanted you on their cap table and the guy's like i got benchmark and i've got like they're not going to let someone in after the round's closed, when we're already raising a second round. He said, but I'll gladly give you a lot of the second round. You know, it's like... There's a... When you think about the deal flow that's coming in, um, I think in traditional Silicon Valley venture capital, you always have three big firms or five big firms that can basically get in on any deal that they want. And in crypto, you're kind of seeing the same thing play out, whether it's, you know, Paradigm, which, which has launched, you know, fairly recently, and then obviously some of the bigger ones like Pantera... Um, Union Square Ventures. I think Paradigm is now the biggest fund out there. 
think they managed four hundred million ish. Oh, they started yeah, the year that started, way, but Bitcoin yeah. was at three, you know, three thousand. And Terra's at about six hundred million. I bet you Paradigm's over a billion dollars, and I bet you Polychain's over a billion dollars. I, I I don't know for fat, but if you call them, I bet you could find out. That would be a great scoop. Now, I'd like to thank our phenomenal sponsor, BlockFi. With BlockFi, you can earn interest on your crypto and access the value of your digital assets without selling. The BlockFi interest account offers up to 6.2% APY on Bitcoin and up to 3.3% APY on Ether in a time of low-yielding investments. And it consistently has the best rates in the entire industry. This month, BlockFi dropped their minimums on the crypto interest account you can now start earning up to 6.2% APY on your crypto with any deposit balance. No minimum deposit is required. This means any crypto holder in participating regions can earn interest on their holdings with a BlockFi interest account. Visit BlockFi.com scoop to sign up and start earning interest today. Uh, when you look at that landscape, I mean, these are serious players and really impressive investors. How do you, as you kind of alluded to, elbow your way in, but actually get on the deal that you want to get in? You know, it's interesting. You know, you got to be value added. Well, you have to have the money, uh, and then you have to be value added. Uh, we're going to start a San Francisco office. Uh, we have a job offer out to somebody I think he accepted soon. Um, the locust of a lot of the space has moved back to San Francisco. And that's how you're going to get better deal flow. Well, we're still getting good deal flow now. You because, think so relative to some of the firms we mentioned? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, but I think being in San Francisco will, will help as well. And then aligning with, you know, I mean, we're friends with most people in this space. Uh, and so. Emphasis on most. Yeah. There's still some. <laughs> but it's, again, you, you, if you're, if you're a, merchant bank and you want to provide service to customers uh being close to your customer helps and so you know i want to do the trading for pantera and uh, polychain and 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 the rest of the guys no that makes a lot of sense um it's funny new york stock exchange did something similar they realized they weren't getting some of these tech ipos so they also opened up a san francisco office it's a great way to break in and get new business is going where the business is. Our Goldman's doing something similar to get mid, those mid-tier investment banking deals. They're going to cities like Houston or Salt Lake City. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Speaking of Goldman, just since I randomly brought it up and you were there, um, there's a New Yorker article about you that was really interesting describing the brutal, what they called up and out culture at Goldman. Um, do, do you think that when you think about your time there, you know, obviously it was a tough exit for you. Um, how does that inform the business you lead now? And what's the culture like at Galaxy? Is it, is it brutal up or out? So Goldman, not Goldman or is out? not as brutal up or out as people think. It, Goldman's got an amazing culture. It's a cult. And it's a cult in that people, they hire the best and the brightest. And people grade themselves on how their bosses think about them. And so that creates this very strange bubble. Like the guys there think that's, those are the only really important people on the planet. Yeah. And there's, you know, great businesses are cults in lots of ways. And so they retain and, and nurture unbelievable amounts of talent at that place. And, you know, someone called me yesterday. There's a bunch of departures. Like, oh, my God, is it the end of Goldman? I was like, God, it's been around for 130 freaking years, and it's going to continue to be around. And they literally, I just see the talent they suck in every year. Uh, and so you do need to push the older guys out at one point. Um, listen, this is a younger industry, uh, and it's a newer and more entrepreneurial industry. You know, if, if we've made some mistakes, uh, it's not pivoting fast enough. It's being a little too slow. So you got to, you know, you're trying to, this is kind of half startup and half Wall Street firm. Uh, no, no matter where you are in, in our space, not just because it's Galaxy. And so I think we're going to have to be a lot more flexible uh, than Goldman needs to be. Do you, uh, would you describe Galaxy as a cult? I mean, there is the tinted blue entrance and you have to call <laughs> to get up. It's You know, that's, there, there was a non-crypto related. Level of mystique. There was a non-crypto related security threat 
unfortunately, about a year ago, and that they got instituted. I'm like, okay, it's, the threat's over. Like, open the elevators back up. But, you know, my lawyers and my assistants, they just feel much safer having You've got to worry about elevator. journalists sneaking in, <laughs> finding out something they shouldn't. Um, speaking of culture, I mean, when you, we reported in November, almost a year ago now, so time to sort of sit on it and think about and reflect on, you know, what's changed here at the firm, but you had, you know, Michael Maloney, Richard Tavoso, David Namdar, um, Jason Raziano, all sort of leave around the same time in, in November. Was there an inflection point or something that happened yeah. at that time? Listen, putting a business together and a management team together that all clicks uh, is challenging. And we, you know, we went from eight employees a year earlier to we're 82 at today. And growing that fast is hard. And so getting the right personalities, uh, guys that want to do, like uh, for me, like one of the advantages of being 54 and have already made a whole bunch of money is like, you get to stay out late into the evening. No, but it's it's. There's less ah like that anxiety of got to do it right. So I I don't need you to work for me. I need you to work in the job if you think it's the right job for you. And so I spend a lot of time. You know, people say ah, I owe it to you, and no one owes me anything. I I'm doing just fine. I got four kids, a big house, uh, and so Robert De Niro's house, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I want people to be in jobs where they feel it is like Robert De Niro's old house. where they can be self-actualized. And when you're growing a firm, there's not the right seat for everybody. And so you either people realize on their own or you usher them out and uh, try to get people in the right seats. What's hard is, I started with this, the overall economy of our space isn't growing that fast. Right. If you just think of the amount of businesses that are business getting done. And so uh, like I talked about the bid ask spread coming down and, and trading and volumes coming down, even though we're getting more and more market share, it's still a mediocre business. And quite frankly, it's a mediocre business at DRW and at Circle and all the other places where it was a great business 18 months ago. Oh, yeah. And so and they've seen their fair amount of their all, fair share of executive all, turnover and all of them because, folks leaving and because people say, well, I'm not going to make as much money as I used to make because I had this inflated sense of self-importance because we're making this money and it's like well, maybe we're just lucky to be in the seat. Well, this is a great point to sort of focus in on on that and explore how Galaxy might approach that space differently, and you know, despite fee compression and despite maybe the lack of New counterparties coming into the market, which is my sense. You know, we're kind of still dealing with the same family offices, crypto hedge funds. You know, maybe there's a DE Shaw that's kicking the tires on some things, but it's really mostly the same folks, and the fees are compressing. How do you operate in that landscape? Yeah, from you perspective. You try to grow market share. You try to provide service to clients. Uh, listen, the money you're not making is not going to be trading Bitcoin per se, but it's. There are liquids that they need. They're new, you, know, you, you have a new issue business at one point. And you tighten your belt a little bit. Uh, options? You guys are writing options for certain clients? Yeah. You know, I think the derivative market will show up at one point. You know, and so uh, I usually write them out of my own proprietary book just to try to provide liquidity. Um, it's taking a longer view of this thing. And so, we're, you know, listen, you have to be honest with your employees People have to know this is the bet they're making as well, right? I don't, if you're a 34-year-old, you know, trader who's in that meat of their career, you've got to look at yourself and say, is this the right seat for me? Because it might not, that giant inflection might not be two or three years. And so people came in 16, 17, not just to Galaxy everywhere, thinking, ah, oh, this is the new revolution and crypto is going to explode. I'm going to make tons of money. And there's a much more sober outlook I think, and how long it takes to grow businesses. You know, Peloton's going to go public this week. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what a great story. It's going to go public at 7 or $8 billion, right? You know, And everyone wants to be the next Peloton. Uh, I was looking, I was like, well, I've invested in day one. That was like seven and a half, eight years ago, um, right? It takes a long time to grow great businesses, even, even the, the home-run unicorns. And so we're not even 18 months old. 
Uh, but the crypto space really isn't, if you really want to think about the crypto space, forget the early Bitcoiners and the, you know, Ethereum at $1. It really started in kind of earnest in 2016. Of course, yeah. So we're three years old as an industry, you know. Uh, and Galaxy's 18 months old. How, what do you think, when you hearken back, uh, might be the biggest mistake you've made um, from a business perspective? Well, you know, running Galaxy. I don't think going public was a mistake per se, but I was bearish the market, and I raised capital anyway because I thought permanent capital would give us an advantage and that I could hedge out my bearishness. And we did that brilliantly, really, for the first 60% down in, in, seven, in 18. You know, we were up on the year, and the market was kind of collapsed. And... You think you could ever bring Galaxy private again? You know, that's, our plan isn't that. But listen, you know, you never take options off the table. If right now we're in, an, we're in a market with almost no liquidity, so our stock price doesn't necessarily represent much. Uh, we trade sometimes below book, at book, giving us a zero enterprise value, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I think we're building a pretty cool enterprise. Um, and so... You know, at one point, if your stock's so cheap, you just keep buying it back yourself. Our company announced a few days ago that we're, you know, we have the have the right or the option to buy stock when we want. And, and uh, but I would, would well, I'd rather us tell the story better up in Canada and, and abroad because we have a hard time telling it in the U.S. because we're not based here in the U.S. Even though we are based here in the U.S., but not from a regulatory perspective. Um, you know, we're going to we'll pump the episode in Canada to to, to try to. Uh, you know, shift from the TSXV, which is a venture exchange, to the to the big board up there, which will help, um, and tell the story. Because I would far rather have public capital markets to fund the growth of this business and actually fund our balance sheet. My one real frustration this year is we were really bullish Bitcoin at, you know, 4,000. And because the public capital markets were closed, we couldn't get any more money into the company to buy more stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and... You know, if capital markets were open, you would have raised more capital. You would have put it to work in your proprietary business, at least, which is the business that's generating all the revenue, right? Yeah. You know, the other businesses are grinding along. And that was always the plan. You're subsidizing these growth businesses. And then over time, those businesses are making lots of real money, and you get a big enterprise multiple. Uh, I just think it could take longer than we had hoped. It's interesting. Do you ever anticipate bringing the firm public in the States? Yeah, I do. Actually, I think, you know, you say, did you make mistakes or not? In some ways, knowing how tough the bear market was, it might have been smarter to stay private, keep building the business, and, and, and go public on NASDAQ at one point. Um, why did we pick Canada? Because Canada lets you go public on a business plan on their venture exchange, and we had a business plan at eight employees. Uh, we raised money at a decent valuation, right? Uh, now, we thought we, had a, we thought the enterprise would be easy. My, my arbitrage trading business was making a fortune, and then it shut down. Like, everyone shut down because Jane Street and Susquehanna and all the other smart guys said, oh, free money. Mm -hmm. And then free money went away. Uh, and so just on the simple calculation of how our trading business was doing, and you know, the, the, the old ICO business, and literally just buying ICOs and flipping them was just a profitable business. You thought, oh, well, at least make that much in revenue. Uh, that's the big mistake. Bear markets are so much more painful than you think. And even if you can trade them well, all the businesses disappear. disappear. So the Mike Maloney business disappeared. Uh, uh, and so that was, the, that was the miscalculation. It was too cute by half. We're bearish, we'll get short, but we're still going to build businesses, which, oh, they just disappeared. So now we're in a bull market. We're not in a bull market. We're, not, you know, it's we're, we're, in, a grind, we're in a bull market in Bitcoin. And we're in a recovering, grinding market in the economy. So what does that mean for Galaxy? It means that we need to trade smart. Uh, you know, luckily we have a real big balance sheet and lots of money. Uh, and we don't want to burn that money. Like, you don't want to burn, you don't want to burn the chairs around your, your kitchen table. But you want, to, you want to run the business as tight as you can until you see that inflection point. And so it probably means bonuses aren't as good as everyone thinks they're going to be. Uh, you know, you, you can't fund your operating business just because you have a good proprietary year. You got to have businesses that actually 
rationalize so they can make money over time. Mm -hmm. Do you think the advisory business will be, uh, I mean, if we, we anticipate, or at least I anticipate, a wave of consolidation and murder, mergers in the crypto market, especially among some of these exchanges, I mean, you look at... I think the advisory business is a great cheap option on this space. Um, again, I said it's not that expensive. It's just human capital. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have a huge tech component to it. And, you know, we have great access. We get, we get in most rooms. And so you don't need a bunch of deals before it's a profitable business. And you could foresee, you, if you do one big real estate token, there are 19 other people that are going to line up to do it. And so, listen, how do you do a real estate token? It's, there's all kinds of regulatory hurdles and whatnot. But once you get it done, you're going to sell it to real estate buyers. You're not going to sell it to, like, crypto guys. Yeah, that's the thing, though, right? Why are these real estate folks traditionally older, um, you know? Because Why are they going to want it? Because, quite frankly, it's going to look like the same thing. They're just buying great real estate assets in a world where yield has gone to hell in a handbasket, right? Where the 10-year yield is 1.5%. You can show someone a seven and a half percent piece of paper with great assets underlying it, uh, much better liquidity, and saying, unlike private placement, there's an option at least on liquidity, and transferability is easier in time. Yeah. It's, it's a decent sales story, but you're not selling it to Paradigm. Yeah, you're selling. What do they know about investing in real estate? You're selling it to people that buy. Triple net lease real estate or whatever type of real estate you're, you're selling. We'll see. I think it definitely is going to take a bit of time, maybe a year. It's somewhat deal specific. If you get the right deal and you get the right buyers, you know, the, these things go in big chunks as well when you look at how that private placement work, market works. And while it's not the classic tokenization of everything, it's a start. Right. The yeah. When you think about the tokenization of everything, you think, okay, we're gonna. Is that just a bunch of BS? No, it's not. I, like I'm looking at three different businesses to to either buy into Galaxy or even the family office that are that have lots of assets that you could then tokenize. Um, I mean, do you think about music royalties? That's a beautiful business to tokenize. Like we used to own them at Fortress, right? So you own the royalties that we have. In the, uh, so th assume you owned the Beatles catalog, right? You were Sony ATV and you owned the Beatles royalties. Mm -hmm. uh, don't you think, amongst other things, don't you think you could sell fractions of the Beatles? And you, there's such transparency. Okay, every time a song's played, you, know, you get a little quarter of a penny or whatever, a tenth of a penny or whatever the number is. And so people could like bet on, I want to own Beatles catalog. I want to own my favorite rock stars catalog. And so providing the masses... Uh, with the ability to invest in products that they never had an op opportunity to uh, is going to happen. It's not going to happen this year, uh, but it's going to happen. You know, a buddy of mine is fractionalizing art. He's got an office right down uh, a block away, and you walk it in, and he's got a Warhol, and he's already sold 60% of the Warhol in 1% increments. Uh, now, that he hasn't tokenized it yet. He's just fractionalizing sure. it. Sure. Um, but that'll get tokenized. Uh, and then, you know, maybe the token will, like, pop up with a really cool version of the painting that you own 1% of, and <laughs> you can show your Warhol uh, on your, you know, high-def TV and say, yeah, I own 1% of that. You're known for um, your style and your, your uh, I think folks would describe you as a convivial gentleman who doesn't not enjoy having a fun time. You were out last night in typical Mike Novogratz fashion. I was the honoree. Tell us this story. Great I, way was to the, end. I was the honoree at Laureus, which is a sports organization that focuses on at-risk at kids. Uh, it was founded by Nelson Mandela uh, after the World Cup in 1995 when that famous Invictus moment where Nelson really unified his country uh, in this Rugby World Cup tournament. And so he called a bunch of Olympic athletes and and they, they, they started this Laureus Foundation. Um, and so I was, I was honored. I got the Nelson Mandela Award for Sports and Humanity. And whenever Nelson Mandela... Or a wrestler. Whenever Nelson Mandela and your name is in the same sentence, it's, like a, it's a magical day. And so I was, we, there was a fashion show. I marched in the fashion show with Marcus Allen and 
<laughs> Nadia Kamanichi and all, all these wonderful, you know, both young and old, you know, athletes. Um, and so because I'm old, <laughs> the young athletes were like, where's the after party? And so we went to uh, La Bain, which is in the top of the Standard Hotel and uh, didn't know that we were in the middle of not just fashion week, but, but drag fashion week. And so we were at a drag party. Uh, spirited New York scene. I stayed till like 2.30 in the morning because it was just fun to watch and participate with and met a lot of people I normally wouldn't meet. And more fun than the crypto parties, you said. It is. Like more, you know, Give Arthur other, Hayes a run for Other than money. Arthur Hayes's, you know, toga party, which I didn't go to, uh, I think that was probably more fun than most crypto parties. And then one other question I want to ask, just because I think it's interesting. You're, you are fairly political on Twitter and you have relatively strong... Uh, opinions on on some of these things. Who's your who's your bet for the Democratic nominee? So I haven't endorsed any one candidate yet. Uh, Who do you think's doing the best job? I think the, if you had to make a an actual bet to make money on it, it would be Elizabeth Warren. I think she she is gaining ground. Is there an auger market for that? She is. If there was an auger market, I'd lift it. Right. Uh, <laughs> You know, I was a little frustrated with her because she came out of the gates and was completely divisive between like the haves and the haves. I, I am she still is. And, 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 and so the populist rhetoric. Tax the hell uh, out of uh, your apartment. I don't mind being taxed. I mind the rhetoric of saying anti-rich or anti-successful. Like that, that that doesn't help the country. And I, she needs to pivot away from that. I, I'm hoping she does after she gets the the, the nomination and. Uh, if she gets it. I don't know if she will. I mean, she's not my preferred policy candidate. But I think why she's resonating is you look at our country and, you know, 60% of our country has no savings or has less than $5,000 of savings. 50% has no savings. They can't, 50% of our country can't handle a $400 dental bill. Uh, like, register that in your head. Uh, that's half our country. And so it's not 10% of our country. Okay. And so we need some structural changes in our country because it's not working for a lot of people. It's why Trump got elected because our country wasn't working for a lot of people. And I thought he was a bizarre guy to elect. The guy, you know, you know, shits on a golden toilet, but he's a man of the people. It makes absolutely no sense. But he, he, he resonated with the voices that felt like they were being left out. Mm -hmm. And Warren is going after that same, same population. She's... Um, she has a, an amazing character, I think. Policy aside. She's got a great story. Yeah. You know, she was a single mother. She, you know, went to community college and then, like, you know, up to Rutgers Law School. And when I was at D.C. for the congressional hearings for Facebook, she came through the same entrance, the visitor entrance, to get into whatever, the Hart Senate building. And she literally starts, like, taking off her belt and going through the metal detector. And, like, Senator Warren, you don't have to do that. You can walk right through. And she's... Just so level of humility, I think, that you don't find in especially the current president, <laughs> uh, but many other people, even myself, um, and I'm not a senator. But, you know, the, the only thing I would say, too, on the election is... What about Yang, though, right? I, you know, I met Yang early on uh, when he was still running his, his, his nonprofit, you know, on entrepreneurs. Uh, I invested in one of his guys. I like him. Uh, I am impressed with how much traction he's gotten. And I think, you know, he is, I, I told him that he came to see me because I had talked about it. Uh, what I actually think the ideal situation would be is we need more redistribution and less government in lots of ways. And so one of the things that a digitalized and crypto economy uh, or blockchain economy could have you do is, you know, tax people and have the money directly go into other people's wallets. Yeah. And so, because we all agree government doesn't do things that well. There's some things government should do. Tokenized redistribution of wealth. Tokenized redistribution of wealth is kind of what, you know, uh, UBI is. Yeah, with UBI. Um, and there's something to that. Like, people talk about the, the racial issues in our country all the time, you know. like, But the, the numbers are just simple. 13% of our population is African-American. We're not going to change that anytime soon. And, you know, 13% is African-American they own less than 3% of the wealth. That doesn't work. So you got to find a way to help equitize the African-American community. Or we're going to have an African community in distress 
next year, next 10 years, next 30 years, next 50 years. You ever think you'd run for office? You know, I, New York? I, I said something in the New Yorker when they profiled me. I said, if I can go five or 10 years without doing anything that would embarrass my wife, my parents, my sister, then I'd run, but I haven't made it two weeks. <laughs> um, you have an interesting family. Uh, you grew up in Arling Arlington? Alexandria. Alexandria, Virginia. I have a big family. I have yeah. three brothers and three sisters. And we all live four, in the city. four children yourself. Four children. There are four out of 23 grandkids. And so we have a little army here in New York. Truly. Anyway, I it's think a lot it's of fun. a great place to end. Family man, Mike Novogratz, thanks for coming on. Thanks a ton. Appreciate the time. Hope to see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Scoop. We hope you tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe and favorite wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer -peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode.